All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word endures forever. And so as we listen to it now, please help us. Please guide us, and please would we love Jesus more for his praise and glory. Amen. Uh, Mabel works in the city. Uh, Her team has been taking part in a week's training seminars all about inclusion and diversity and awareness. And at the end of the week, Mabel's boss has asked the whole team to sign off on diversity objectives and to celebrate all that they've learnt. They've been asked to celebrate Pride Month by wearing bright colours and joining in uh, with a lunchtime march. Uh, Mabel is a Christian and she feels really quite uncomfortable having to join in at such a request. Uh, Godfrey, uh, he needs to get his company's tax returns done by the end of the month. Uh, his brother is his business partner, and he tells him not to worry about most of the invoices for this month. If we, if we push them back to next month and to next year, then we can hit bonus again. Uh, Godfrey, is again, as a Christian, he knows it's a small lie, but it's probably fine. And it would certainly win him bonus points with his brother. Uh, Winifred is a GCSE student at Market Snobbery School for Girls. Uh, Her friends have stopped inviting her recently to various things because Winnie has changed since becoming a Christian. Uh, She stopped drinking at parties, she stopped partaking in the casual vape, uh, and she's not really around at weekends as much because she wants to prioritise going to the local church. Winnie knows that Jesus is great, and she feels lost and lonely without her friends. Uh, Imtiaz. Imtiaz is a church minister who has flown over to Pakistan and is wanting to encourage persecuted Christians. And yet when he's in the local northern village, staying with believers, he receives a letter in the door early in the morning Uh, telling him that if he doesn't leave the village in the next 30 minutes, then they will burn the house down. Uh, I wonder how we would seek to encourage these Christians, these fellow believers, uh, encouraging them to keep going in difficult circumstances when they are suffering or going through various trials. Where would we find encouragement for ourselves uh, when we feel out of place at work or at school? when we feel like a stranger in our own families and our own communities. As the authorities and culture, as they try to apply pressure on believers for what they believe, well, the Apostle Peter's first letter is a treasure trove of gospel riches in which he encourages believers past and present that following Jesus isn't easy, but it is an absolute privilege. Peter beautifully sums up much of what is to come in the letter in verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2. Remember who you are and whose you are. Verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. 
Peter, an apostle of King Jesus, wrote this to God's elect, God's chosen people, exiles, who were scattered across these five Roman provinces. And this idea of elect exiles isn't just something that Peter has randomly come up with. It is something that finds its roots in the Old Testament. So Old Testament characters like Abraham and Joseph and David and Daniel, who were sojourners, exiles, aliens in a foreign land. God's people, Israel, had been temporary residents in a foreign place. They weren't home. And therefore, they didn't feel like they belonged. And so Peter is using this picture to speak about Christians, both back then, at the time of writing, and still today. These exiles in these five seemingly quite random places, they didn't really belong there. It wasn't home And it is still true for God's people today. All Christians are exiles, aliens in the world. So I may have lived 80-something percent of my life in Royal Tunbridge Wells, but it is not my home. I may have moved into a house in High Brooms four years ago, but it is not my home. Tunbridge Wells, Paddockwood, Crowborough, Leicester, Tipperary are not the Christian's home. The king of the universe has chosen the believer to be his and to enjoy his salvation. And one day, his chosen people will be home when they inhabit his his kingdom. And so it is quite the privilege to be a Christian. And it is all of the triune God's doing. Have a look down at verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. God the Father's foreknowledge is not just that he knows facts about these Christians. Um, He didn't need Google Maps to know where these five seemingly random places were. More than that, he knows his people with a personal and fatherly loving care that he had before he made the world. And so by nature, we've been born into a world that rejects God It is, again, within our nature that we have turned away from him. And yet, by his knowledge, it is by his amazing grace that he has plucked us out of the world to belong to the Lord Jesus. And what the Father planned, the Spirit empowers in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. God the Holy Spirit is sanctifying, cleansing, making holy as he works to free the believer more and more from their sin, making God's people obedient to Jesus. And so no matter where God's people find themselves, whether in a foreign land or at the school gate or at work or in prison or in a pub or in our houses, the Christian is to be obedient to Jesus. We are supposed to be obedient to Jesus. I tend to find that the problem with my obedience to Jesus is me, that my sin gets in the way. And so how wonderfully encouraging it is to see that God is working in his people through the Spirit, sanctifying us and sprinkling us with Jesus' blood. God intends the elect exiles to live in obedience to Jesus, but God's people are still defiled by sin. And so Peter says they are sprinkled by the Son's blood. 
Our obedience is not spoilt by unforgiven sin. God's people are cleansed by the blood of Christ. It means that today I am to be obedient to God, to Jesus, and to seek his forgiveness for the ways that I have messed it up. But what a great comfort for the believer to hear Peter's words, that God's goal from eternity past is that his chosen people would enjoy the full salvation that he has given them through belief in his Son. God the Father has chosen, the Spirit sanctifies, the Son has cleansed. What a privilege it is to be a believer, to belong to him. And Peter says, remember who you are and to who you belong. For we are those, verse 2, who enjoy his grace and peace. Our true home is with God in his glorious kingdom. But for now, we live a very long way from home in a world that rejects God. And so don't feel surprised if you feel like you don't belong. When your family don't understand you, when the community around us find us odd or even repulsive, remember who you belong to. We are those who have received his grace and peace. And Peter gives a helpful remedy for those who are weary and weighed down and discouraged in heart. Verses 3 to 12, remember where you're going. Verses 3 to 12, remember where you're going. Rather than having despair on our lips for feeling distant, for feeling far away, believers should have praise, verses 3 to 5, because we have a guaranteed future. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter gives the believers three reasons to praise God, the Father, because of what he has done for us. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. According to God's great mercy, he has given his people a confident living hope, even though they don't deserve it. He has given them life after death, which will happen for all believers. And the guarantee of that is that Jesus is risen from the dead. Praise God, Jesus is risen. We have been given living, confident hope. And maybe you're someone sitting here unsure of what what hope really looks like, where it can come from. Well, can we again encourage you to come along to the Hope Explored course? Three Tuesday evenings, looking at what true hope is and how it's only really found in Jesus. Or do ask someone afterwards and you'll happily share more. Believers, praise God, because we have a living hope. And we've been given a future inheritance that cannot die, spoil, or fade, verse 4 to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. The Lord God promised his people in the Old Testament that they would inherit the land. Uh, The Lord Jesus spoke about a treasure in Luke chapter 12 that will not wear out and will not fail and cannot be stolen or destroyed. And so Peter talks 
of an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. See, unlike all earthly inheritance that will pass away, the Christian's inheritance is perfectly secure. I mean, wouldn't that have been a great encouragement for those original readers of this letter? For them to think that the great and powerful Roman Empire wouldn't last forever. And Peter was right. It's now just history, monuments and rubble. And I hope it's a helpful prod for us as well. Bank accounts, houses, stuff. It will perish, it will stain, it will fade away. But praise God, the believer has a secure inheritance, one that is incorruptible, unstained by sin, one that will never wither, never dim, never lose beauty, and never lose glory. And I can do nothing to lose it or ruin it because the future is guaranteed. Verse 5, it is guarded. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This living hope into his inheritance has assured protection. It is guarded by his power ready to be given to his people at the appropriate time. Back in the day when you went to the cinema, you were told that the future's bright, the future's orange, and yet by 2015, the future was dead because orange had stopped trading. And yet the Christian's hope isn't a flash in the pan. The future is protected, is completely safe, completely secure. And it means we can praise God in the present, even if the present is painful verse 6 and 7. We can have joy in spite of suffering. Follow along verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, living as a believer now, there will be times of suffering. There will be pain and sorrow and trials along the, along the journey. But God's gospel and the certain future inheritance and home transforms the way that the believer looks on trials. God strengthens your faith through them. As gold is purified by melting away the rubbish around it, leaving just the valuable material, the momentary suffering and persecution of Christians will, like gold in the fire, purify the faith of a believer. Suffering because one believes in Christ, friends leaving us behind, culture and Christians put on the outskirts of society proves the genuineness of one's faith. And the certainty of one's salvation which is the reason for joy in praise and glory and honor when Jesus finally returns. Now, trials are, of course, painful. This side of glory, we're not in a position to give definitive answers to explain every trial and pain. But ultimately, in the light of Jesus' resurrection and the hope of eternal life, All suffering is ultimately short-term. 
It was such an encouragement recently when a teenager from our church family who's been grieved with really hard trials over the last couple of years confidently said, I do not blame God for this. He still loves me and he's still with me. At the start, I mentioned Mabel, Godfrey and Winifred uh, who are made up believers, but their stories are not. I also mentioned Imtiaz, who is a real person. He is a brother uh, that I had the honor of serving alongside when I worked for Franton Erich Church. Uh, twice a year, he heads over to Pakistan uh, to try and encourage believers and share the gospel with Muslims. And on arriving in a northern village early in the morning, he was threatened with death. And he, being Imtiaz, he was greatly encouraged by this. And in classic Imtiaz fashion, he used the 30 minutes to have a shower, have breakfast, and then pray with the family before leaving. Along the, along the journey, there are going to be trials, and some of them are going to be hard. They're going to test the faith. It will feel like this giant obstacle is getting in the way. But God desires to strengthen our faith so that his people arrive at their destination, full of joy of our salvation, that drives us to love Jesus more and more. Even though the believer hasn't seen Jesus, verse 8 and 9. Inexpressible joy in knowing Christ. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The believer has great joy in knowing and loving Jesus. These exiled believers that Peter was writing to, and it's also true for you and I, we've only seen Jesus through his word written down for us in the Bible, and yet we love him. Not perfectly, not yet. But because of this, we're to be filled with an inexpressible joy. Uh, in the church family here, we used to have a member called David Mullins. And when his wife, Mary, died, he left an answer phone uh, on, the, on the phone message at the vicarage. And in his slow and rather wonderful voice, he referred to feelings of poignant pain and inexpressible joy. In difficult times, even in the face of death, believers have a living hope. And so as we travel our way home, in any situations, Christians praise with inexpressible joy because we will obtain the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Do these words of Peter want and help us to praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? Do these words encourage us to be faithful and obedient to Jesus? If we're sitting here this evening and we have a faith in Jesus, do we see how incredibly privileged we are? These exiles, they could write back to Peter. They could write back and say, you don't know how tough our life is. I mean, it's all right for you, Peter. At least you've met Jesus and you've seen him risen. And yet Peter concludes by pointing out, verse 10 to 12, how incredibly privileged these believers are. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, 
inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you, through those who preach the good news to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Again, within this letter, Peter will continue to use the language of exiles, holy nation, and Babylon. And he also uses Old Testament prophecies. Isaiah 53, 56, Psalm 31, Psalm 34, Psalm 118. And Peter quotes Isaiah, the psalmist, and King David. And he's wanting us to imagine those Old Testament prophets eagerly investigating their own prophecies, flicking their way through scripture, carefully searching the pages in order to find out what time or who this glorious, gracious salvation would come, the glorious future that is to come, that they and others have been predicting by the Spirit. The prophets wrote by the Spirit, not for themselves and not for the hearers of that specific time, although, of course, God's word is always relevant, Peter says that the ancient ministry of the prophets was to serve the new covenant believer. And because believers now have the answers to who the Christ is and when he would come, and because the gospel of God had been preached to them and wonderfully to us, we too can read the scriptures with great eagerness and with great comfort. As a very old Christian once said, the holy scriptures are our letters from home. And so are we filled with great praise as we read how God was promising of the one who was to come, as even the angels in heaven seek uh, peak from their vantage point, looking on an awe of the salvation that he has provided. These Christian, Christians had suffered and they were under great pressure. But they were to keep going praising God for the glorious God-given inheritance. I often forget how privileged I am to be a Christian. How privileged I am to have the entirety of God's word written out in the Bible. And so please pray for me. Please pray for our church family and pray for believers around the world that we would grow in our appreciation of our great salvation as we read the scriptures that we as a family would grow in our obedience to Jesus Christ. And daily, would we join in with Peter's praise of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, blessed is your name. The inheritance you have planned is utterly amazing. And as we wait to receive it in full, help us by the power of your spirit and in living hope of the resurrection, help us to live lives that are undefiled and obedient to Jesus Christ. For his praise and glory and honor. Amen.